Welcome to the Eclectic Readers Book Club on Sunrise Robot, where we talk about stories, about stories, about stories. I'm Jeanette. I'm Susan. And I'm Tara. How are you guys? I started working! Yay! Yay. Congratulations! (laughs) Yes, maternity leave is over. So... Which to I'm, most people would be like a sad thing, but you get to do things now, apparently. <laughs> yes, like watch TV. <laughs> you think that's one of the few things you get to do with the baby. You'd get to actually watch TV, read books, but no. not so much, huh? No, because when they're sleeping, you do chores and housework or sleep. <laughs> um, and then when Gosh, I'm what watching, are husbands for? I thought that yeah, was their exactly. job during this whole process. Yeah, right? They're not seahorses. <laughs> That is ridiculous. (laughs) Working on that. (laughs) Yeah, but um, yeah, I'm back to work. It is sad to, you know, let your baby go to someone else, but, you know, got to make them monies, so. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Money, money, money. Pretty much. (laughs) How are you, Tara? I'm doing okay. I'm doing all right. Um, You know, we're sort of going through a new point in our lives right now. It's very exciting. Um. We're about to go on our honeymoon, which is to Japan and Korea, and we're just really, really looking forward to that. Um, Can't wait to go. I'll have an update for you all when I get back. Before that, we're going to go to PAX, which is my very favorite con every year, which is the Penny Arcade in Boston, Um, and I'm really looking forward to it. Oh, that's fun. We actually thought about doing your trip for our honeymoon, but that was... uh before we realized we were going to move immediately to Colorado, so we didn't do that. <laughs> yeah, that's a, sort of a big shift all of a sudden, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, so we were like, uh, we won't do this, maybe. <laughs> Save that one. Yep. Jeanette, how you doing? I'm doing pretty well. I have way too much going on, as usual, but it's, you know, getting to be spring into the end of the school year, so it won't be too bad, and it is keeping me distracted from the fact that I'm in a major reading slump, guys. Like... I have not been able to focus my attention on anything until this week. I mean, I'm with you. After that 24 hours of reading I did for Book Bingo, I was like, if I touch a book never again, I will be okay. <laughs> so I, I just, I've literally read two books in the last week, and I feel really good about that. Well, at least you had a reason. Like, you know, your eyes were literally burning. My eyes just were like, you know what? We're not doing this anymore. And I'm like, stop it. Just stop it. It's been going on for like two weeks now. It's killing me. Oh. It happens but, sometimes. But, but you just kind of need a refresher. Yeah, I'm coming out of it. It'll it'll be okay. I know this is temporary. It's happened before. <laughs> you know, I, I just got to calm myself down. It'll be okay. Everyone goes but, through but, a slump now and then. They do, Jeanette. It's totally natural. <laughs> it's going to be okay. <laughs> Thank you, guys. I appreciate the support. Yes. Yes. So, talking about book slumps, what is everybody reading now? Um, well, I just finished uh, Tequila Mockingbird. Just, that sounds wrong. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> Excuse me. It's pretty amazing. Uh, sorry, I'm getting over a throat thing. Um, but it's basically, it's a cocktail book. And this author basically did a liter- literary twist on drinks, on cocktails. So there's like fun pun titles um, to go with the drinks, and he does a really fun, like, short summary, did you know type of, um, like, a blurb before giving out the recipe. So it's been really fun reading it, and it's for my local book um, book club, so we're actually doing a brunch, and we're going to do some of the recipes. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. You're saying it's cool. puns, novels, and alcohol? Yep. Those are, like, my favorite things in the Yeah, pretty universe. much, yeah. Yeah, they were, You'll like... Have- Three or four Ernest Hemingway books. <laughs> can you? Uh, of course there were. Yeah, of can you figure out why? Because <laughs> uh, no he was a raging alcoholic. Uh, <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, you should post your favorite ones to our Goodreads page. Have people try them. Yeah, Ooh. yeah. I'll do a few of them. Um, some of them I probably will never try only because, like, like, I'm not a huge tequila fan. I don't really drink a lot of whiskey type of thing. Tequila is my lady. Yeah, no, so I'm I'm all rum, but <laughs> and they had non-alcoholic ones too. So like they were like, oh, if you want to do a kids book club, here's some you know non-alcoholic drinks for you Aww. to try. Oh, that's, that's sweet. So yeah, you really covered all his bases. I was very surprised. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What about and, you, Jeanette? 
Well, like I said, I've been going through a reading slump, but I'm coming out of it thanks to uh, Nimona by Noelle Stevenson, which is the most charming graphic novel ever. It is just so very charming. It is so charming. Um, So very cute. And then also like really interesting take on like heroes and villains and stuff like that. Um, But I just finished that. So actually what I'm reading now is Euphemania. Our Love Affair with Euphemisms by Ralph Keyes, where he talks about kind of like the history of euphemisms. He doesn't talk about like where they come from, but like which euphemisms were used at which periods in time, which is pretty sweet. Um, So like right now I've been reading about like how people didn't like to refer to parts of their body. And that's where we got words like stomach because people couldn't say like belly or tummy or whatever. So it's Wait, really tummy funny. came before stomach? Apparently people thought that tummy and belly after like hundreds of years of use were just too crude so we're gonna talk about stomachs now Um, that's very interesting isn't it um so stuff like that it's really really interesting and some of it's kind of funny like I find myself reading it aloud to my husband and he kind of gets a kick out of it too so that's (laughs) been cool and the other thing I'll be reading now is American Gods by Neil Gaiman. And Neil Gaiman's oh, nice. always great, so he'll help Good me, one. Right? No, yeah. that's a great one. You'll love it. Yeah. I haven't read it yet, so I'm excited. Yeah. So what about you, Tara? What are you reading? Um, I just finished my 500-page book for Book Bingo. I'm still working on that book illusion to finish the entire square. Um, and that book was Lady Midnight by Cassandra Clare, which is the newest Shadowhunter book. Um, it was like 600-something pages. It was a beast. Wow. Yeah, really big for her. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really good. There's a lot in it. I really want someone else to read it so that I can talk <laughs> about it. Um, but it just came out. Um, so, hey, <coughs> listeners, uh, if any of you have read it, come talk to me about it on Goodreads. I'm pretty desperate at this point. This one takes um, place after the Mortal Instruments, right? It does, yeah. It takes place, like, maybe seven years later, around that time period, um, in, uh, from the perspective of the Blackthorn children, which you meet in the last trilogy, the Mortal Instruments uh, series, and it takes place in L.A. So it was a nice new setting. She oh. loves her new settings, so... Um, I wanted to give a quick shout-out to Kim Gurney, who was just a... A plus amazing person on Goodreads and our Facebook group this week talking about all of the theories we're going to be discussing for the Rabbit Back Literature Society. She killed it, killed it this week. Uh, this week. Um, before we get onto that, though, uh, wanted to talk real quick about that favorite book you have to dissect. It might not be your favorite book on the shelf. But you just love, 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 love to talk about it. Um, that school book that surprised you or that book that your friend just really got you into. Um, Jeanette, why don't you give us yours? Uh, well, I don't have any books I really like to go back and dissect like over and over again. But my like favorite memories of dissecting books uh, comes from uh, the Shakespeare class I took in college with you, Tara, of course, and yeah. Meredith, one of our other hosts. <laughs> Um, and I just had a lot of fun dissecting that because it was one of the few classes that I'd ever taken about lit where the professor didn't like feel the need to like give like a huge lecture first and then let us discuss. Like she opened with like, all right, you read the play that we're talking about this week. What do you think? And then like Mm -hmm. we were just allowed to kind of like explore and talk about things and tear it apart for a while before she kind of stepped in and said, well, at this time, Shakespeare was talking about this, though there's this symbolism and blah, blah, blah. Like, we could kind of tear it apart first. And then she stepped in. And I loved that because I I felt so much freer to talk about it. I love that class. That class is one of my favorite, favorite memories of college, too. Yeah. And that was Professor Hayden. So, Professor Hayden, if you happen to be listening, (laughs) thanks a bunch for being awesome. Yeah, it was so awesome. Like, she was just great. She was very, like, open to just letting us kind of throw out anything, even if it sounded crazy. And then she'd kind of bring us back and be like, well, this is what we're going to be talking about today. So there's this thing called liminal, (laughs) liminal state. Let's talk about that. Like, oh, okay. (laughs) 
And it's still fun, like, if I'm, like, going to see a play, I'll pull out my Shakespeare books and start reading it, and I'll see all my crazy notes in the margins and stuff, and that's kind of fun. Because I don't often leave notes in the margin, but, like, that class I felt like I was allowed to. Oh, we definitely did in that class. <laughs> my, my, my anthologies are also just written up and beaten up with love. With love. <laughs> yeah. What about you, Susan? Um, I don't usually do a lot of dissecting. Like, I like to talk to talk to people about books and pulling it apart, but, you know, not something super serious. But um, right now, I love going through the Harry Potter books because there is um, a podcast that MuggleNet hosts called Alohomora, and they have been four years now because they're almost done. They're on Deathly Hollows. Um, they have been picking apart the books since you know, book one, chapter one, a chapter at a time. Oh my God. Yeah. It's That's amazing. So cool. <laughs> yeah. MuggleNet is still doing this. Uh, yeah. I mean, they're mostly more like, um, pop culture type of media, but yeah. they're still very, um, Harry Potter focused. So, awesome. uh, yeah. So MuggleNet, they go through a chapter at a time week, every week, and they just pick apart that chapter. And it's really fascinating sometimes with the theories people come up with. Because it's like, oh, we've never read these the series before. So this is what we think or this is what we thought type of thing. So that's been really fun to listen to them dissect it. Yep. How about you, Tara? I really need to reread. I really need to reread the Harry Potter series before I go to London in July <laughs> to see The Cursed Child, which is literally the only reason I'm going. Um, but I really need to do that. I need to get on it. Um me, I'm I'm picking that that high school book I'm talking about. I hated to read. I mean, hated <laughs> Heart of Darkness. I just despised that book. Um, but once we started picking it apart in class, I loved that book. All of the little hidden symbolism, all of the crazy things, various things meant, all of the theories. I mean, my that was eleventh grade for me. My eleventh grade teacher sort of gave me that same freedom Jeanette Hayden gave us, where it's just like, hey, what do you think? What crazy theories or symbolism do you see in this? And that was probably the first time I really felt free discussing a book. And even a book I didn't like, like Heart of Darkness, became this other thing, which was just so amazing and so fantastic. And it's the first time I really felt that way. And I loved it. Loved it. So, okay. I don't know if any of you have ever read Heart of Darkness. Nope. <laughs> I read Heart of Darkness. I didn't enjoy it, so I don't remember a whole lot of it. I've read Gulliver's Travels a couple of times, I know. Oh, yeah, that was the other that one. That was, was a good one that me. you were going to talk about. Yeah. yeah, Gulliver's Travels is like that, too. I mean, I enjoyed Gulliver's Travels. It wasn't to the same extreme of Heart of Darkness. But Gulliver's Travels was likewise, you know, what one could call a fairy tale like book that actually has this intent, intense inner depth to it. Um, political satire, which I love discussing, <laughs> unlike Candide, which was also a political satire, which I just I just hate. But uh, <laughs> I really enjoy Candide because know it's do. so ridiculous. It's <laughs> so ridiculous. It's one of our big like I don't like it, but I do uh, that we have. Um, but I I really love Gulliver's Travels for the for the political satire discussion. It was fun. Yeah, that's the problem with like dissecting a book sometimes is either like you hate it and then you start loving it or you like it and then you dissect it and you're like, wait, I hate this book. And that makes you sad. <laughs> well, what I love most actually about like our book club is like sometimes I'll come into a book, like for example, the one we're going to discuss today and I'll be like, there are certain things that I am unsatisfied with, but I still like it. And through the dissection that everybody does, I'm like, okay, you guys reminded me why I liked this book. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> but it, when the opposite happens, then I get kind of sad. It's like, oh, I didn't want to not like this book. <laughs> but, I don't know if that's ever happened to me. That yeah. other way around. I know Which it's happened way? a few times. The um, one where... We, I liked a book, but then I come in to discuss it, and through discussion, I turned out to hate it. I don't think I've ever felt that way. Yeah, that doesn't happen to me too often, unless I over-discuss it, and then I'm like, more like, okay, I I'm tired. This discussion has played itself out. Not 
Oh, like you know, done I, with this now? Yeah, I, I'm yeah. kind of done with this now. I still enjoyed the book, though. Yeah, it doesn't change my feelings on the book, but it changes my feelings on the discussion. I think it's happened to me a few times. I can't, I can't place the title because... You know, I ended up not liking it, but... <laughs> I mean, I've always hated Frankenstein. I hated it before I discussed it. I hate it now. I'm never going to like that book. The discussion for that book, though, will kill people's like for it, I feel. <laughs> so I fortunately have never had to discuss that one. I read it a long, long time ago, and it'll probably be a long time before I read it again. Never had to I, discuss it, though. I mean, I think that's wise. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, are we ready to do a little picking at this book? Yes. Yeah. I love right. this book so much, you guys. <laughs> it was so good. All right. Well, let's do a little summary here. Um, if we can do a little summary. I had a really hard time trying to make it short. Um, There's a lot in this. Yes. So basically, Ella is the substitute teacher in Rabbitback, and she finds that she is inducted into the Rabbitback Literature Society which is a society for writers that Laura White created. Um, at first, everything seems normal, but Ella discovers there are strange goings-on in the society once Laura White mysterious, mysteriously disappears. Once she disappears, Ella continues to unearth strange things while interacting with the other members of the society, including a former member. So, guys, what was the one thing that stood out to you in this book, first of all? God, how very finished it is. Or not Finnish, maybe Finnish is the wrong word, Scandinavian. Mm. It's so Scandinavian. And and he claims this on, he claims it's like actually very British, but uh, just the way he talks about mythical things in the book, uh, the way mythical things are very real um, and like accepted by this culture, the way there's like little stone things everywhere, like that's so Scandinavian. It's so just a part of that culture and I've never really I don't think I've read a Scandinavian book before I may be wrong I'm probably wrong um, but definitely not a modern one um, and I just that really struck me as like I've never I don't think I've ever experienced this in literature before and I, I really I loved it I thought it was very fanciful and fun uh, to experience oh, awesome Jeanette um, I actually I really thought like the way that he uses language is super, super cool and super beautiful in this book. And I mean, I think, you know, you've got to give like props to the author for that and also to the translator because this yeah. book was originally written in Finnish and the translation must have been so, so well done for it to come out just as lovely in English. Because yeah, some of loves- the things, yeah, yeah some I of the agree. images and stuff he used. He uses, they're just so, so well done. Yeah, he's really um, positive about the translation. He thinks it came out really well, too. So that's always a really good sign. Mm -hmm. Well, sometimes it just feels so forced, you know? Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, this doesn't quite feel right. Then it didn't really really feel like that with this book. Yeah, like, I think different languages, they have different feels to them. Like, for example, like, Spanish has always been, like, Spanish has a rhythm to it, and it's almost, like, musical if you listen to somebody speaking for a long time in Spanish. Mm -hmm. So, like, when I'm reading translations of Spanish books, like, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for, like, the sentences to have kind of a rhythm and a flow to them. And I think it's hard. Like, I wouldn't be able to capture that rhythm when interpreting for somebody. So I, like, really appreciate, like, when something's like, wow, this has a beautiful feel to it, even though it wasn't originally supposed to be in English. That must right. be, like, part of the native language coming through. <laughs> yeah. Um, for me, it was, I don't know if it'll make sense, but, like, the undertone of the book. Um, the whole time I was reading it, I always felt like there was something other, like, lingering. Does that make any sense? Well, no, that, like, that's what yeah. I'm talking about. That, that, that's the thing I'm discussing is that yeah. um, the supernatural is so close in that society. Like, um, in Iceland... Oh, some people, like a lot of people, I would actually probably say, in, in some way, shape, or form, believe that elves are real. Right. Like, like, like maybe they don't have like the best or say, or they don't leave like milk out or stuff like that, but they truly do believe to some extent that these mythical things are real and they're among them. And that comes through really well in the book that like there's this other thing. Right. There. Not even just the magic part, just like, with the interaction between the people, you know, like 
you know there was something going on, but you're not quite sure what it was. Oh, the, 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 the undercurrent yeah, of suggested just, subtext. Yeah, just like everybody, there's something going on with everybody, and it's like, it's, you're, it's always there. I'm like, okay, what else is going on? <laughs> yeah. There's something what? someone's not saying. Yeah, when I was reading this book, I definitely got a feel of um, the same kind of feel that I got in The Miniaturist. Like, yes. that you're just mm-hmm. moving towards something the entire time. The mm-hmm. loaded the loaded amount of history between people and how, like, we were coming to this overwhelming truth about it. Yep. But it was never, like, in your face, you know? <laughs> no, no, no. Um, it was well it, done. Yeah, but it was always there, and, you know, it was really good. I liked it. Um, so before we go into theories, guys, let's uh, talk about the... Um, I would like to talk about two the two main women here, um, Laura White and Ella. Oh God, Laura White. We yeah. see her for all of like literally two seconds. In the I book, know, but the book but is she, completely about her. Yes, yeah, yeah, she just exactly. encompasses so much of it. So it does. <laughs> let's um, let's take a look at her for a little bit. Um, first of all, what did you think happened to her once the snowstorm hit? Well, I think the um, the end of the book, where the the last chapter, where where the um, the last thing that was written about the return of Emperor Rat. You know, I see a woman standing over me in the ice. Her shadows, her shadow, like um, envelops me. Or that's not a direct quote. Clearly, <laughs> um, that to me is what happened to Laura White. You know, she was on the ice. She fell through and drowned as a child. And some mystical force, um, which was clearly represented as Emperor Rat in her books, took over her body. And um, when she recovered. She became this thing that was other, you know, and developed these writers and developed this game and used them as a tool to understand humanity, used them as a tool to develop her own stories. And when she found that 10th member, when she found Ella, when she found essentially her replacement or the person who might eventually tell her story, um, she returned, you know, the return of Emperor Rat, she returning back to where she was originally from. Um, That's my interpretation of it. Um, I think that it's just fascinating, you know, all the little hints and clues through it. I mean, does the woman wear anything but white the entire story? No, I think she's always, even her shadow, I think, um, or her apparition, I think she's Mm -hmm. always in white. Yeah, I mean, never in any other color. I'm like, and no one talks about that. She said it's so abnormal. Well, they say that... uh, um, I read on the author's website that apparently her name doesn't directly translate from the Finnish. Mm. And um, her name was Laura, I think it was Ermine in the original Finnish, but they, like when they try to translate it directly, it translated to Weasel, and they're like, that's not no. what we want. Yeah. <laughs> so they like changed it to Laura White. But yeah, ermine yeah. is like a whitish it's ivory a white, fur. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah, yeah. So like, yeah, so weasel, they, were try- they were trying to name her after the animal. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, but they couldn't find the direct translation, so she became Laura White. Oh. Uh, they dumbed it down for us U.S. people. That's what happened. They're like, oh, Americans, so stupid. They don't know well, what well, ermine means. They they <laughs> the legit, well, I think they just legit couldn't find a translation other than weasel until it was too late is the impression that I was getting. Uh, okay. Like, but yeah, I mean, cause you know, Laura weasel doesn't quite <laughs> explain no. it the same way. No. And if you said Laura rat, that's terrible too. Yeah, and, that is and yeah. bad. Give off what you want. That's true. It's not whimsical at all. No, yeah. That is not whimsical. What about you, Ned? What, what's your opinions on Laura? Um, I mean, I definitely, felt that something happened to her when she drowned as a child. I felt like her body may have been possessed or taken over by something else. Or if you want to go slightly more realistic, that she saw something supernatural that maybe changed her. But that's not very fun. And it's still, <laughs> you know, supernatural. So there's that. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I that's kind of what I felt like was that there was definitely something that had been taking over her, possessing her. And that moment um, on the stairs was like the turning point where it was either leaving with her or it was done with her. 
And I was, that's what kind of what I was waiting for was like, okay, we're going to find out what that supernatural force did to her body. But we don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That is not the point of the book, it appears. No. I know, we kind of all thought it would be, but that is not the point of this story. Right. Yeah. Susan? Well, I kind of agree with you guys um, on all those theories. My only thing is, is like, why is she returning or why are kids and adults seeing an apparition of her after her disappearance at, with her reading the books? And that's the part of that always confused me. Right, which is why I thought we were moving toward that point, because clearly, whatever the creature force was that had her, it wasn't done with the town. Right, right. It stuck around for a little while. Mm Mm-hmm. So that's like... Well, no, it was sticking around until the Emperor Rat story was revealed. That's my theory. Until someone finally read those final final lines. Oh, you think the apparition just finally disappeared forever? Yeah, once those okay. lines, once she revealed because uh-huh. remember everyone woke up thinking that book had been released. You know, that was another dream everybody had. So then she reveals the book, reads the lines, and those lines are like the true secret to Laura White, right? So I mean, if the whole story is really around what actually happened to her, revealing that to Ella and to Marty and getting that out, I think that was what the apparition was waiting for. So it was just waiting, not guiding or anything, because I was thinking, like, if she was having Ella take her place or have Ella tell the story, then wouldn't she want to kind of guide Ella I don't know if I would view it as guiding, but mm-hmm. I would maybe say that by keeping Laura's memory so much in the focus of the town, it helped Ella discover things. Hmm. You know, it, it okay. people were more open to talk about it so that Ella could do the research and do the things she needed to do to get the fullness of the Laura White story. Right. Yeah, because to me, I, um, to me, her headaches were kind of part of that. It's like whatever had her or possessed her, like is mm-hmm. the cause of her headaches. Yeah. Um, and so she had like one final headache, you know. <laughs> and then it was done. Yeah, and then you're done. <laughs> <laughs> you're out of here. <laughs> um, so... I think we got a just a just in glimpse of it, but how did you feel with Laura's disappearance not being answered at the end of the book? <sighs> I feel like it was answered. I mean, I clearly, from my dis, I feel like it was answered. I feel like it's not answered like, and this is why she disappeared. But I feel like there's enough in the book mm-hmm. to give you a clear understanding or ability to interpret what happened. I. Uh... Jeanette does not feel the same way. I feel really frustrated. And it's not because I wanted the mystery to be solved for us. Like, I don't, I mean, I love mystery books, but I don't need, you know, Sherlock Holmes to gather everybody in a room and be like, this is the reason why Laura White But that's so fun. Like, like I don't need that. I don't need that to happen. I enjoy it when it does happen because it's like, ha ha, I was right. Or, oh no, I was wrong. It's terribly wrong. Um, I don't need it. I love that when it happens. What I... What's so frustrating for me is that I felt like I had all the pieces and I couldn't pull them together to solve the mystery, which was reinforced when I went to look up the author's website and the author was like, yeah, here are all the clues. And he like gives page numbers for the clues. (laughs) And I was reading this on an ebook and I couldn't go back to specific pages because it doesn't have pages in my my, uh, version of the ebook. That's That's why I got the book. I, I, like, I, w- I read it on ebook, but then bought the book because I was like, oh, I need to go nice. through it. <laughs> yeah, and I couldn't flip back because, you know, I couldn't really remember, like, which chapters. Like, the only chapter I made sure to, like, make a mental note of was the um, the tra- chapter where he describes all the uh, Creatureville creatures. Oh, that's a because good one. I, yeah. Well, because I knew that was going to come back. So I knew for certain that was chapter 16. And that is one of the ones he references. And I'm like, I know where that is. So, like, I was able to go back. <laughs> Uh, but then I was like, wait, wait. For example, the car accident. Um, they mention it several times. And then, like, on his website, he mentions it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, but what chapter was that? Was that before or after this person spills? Like, I would have had to go through page by page and find it. And that was just so frustrating to me. I was like, ah, if I had the actual book, I think I would have been like, okay. I, I, I can go back. I can put some more theories together. But as it the was, the car accident is the one thing that really gets to me. 
about yeah. this book. It's like something well, I don't understand why it happened at all. <laughs> well, I like, I feel like if I had had like an actual book, I'd have more like, okay, I can go through and like put these together. I'd have more confidence in my abilities, but I just, I don't think I can do it having to turn page by page. I think I'll miss something. No, that'd be incredibly frustrating. Yeah. So um, I'm a little, I'm a little frustrated with the resolution not because I wanted, you know, the author to walk me through it by hand, but just because, you know, this is one of those places where ebooks don't work. <laughs> yeah, they need to be, I don't know. They well, the library in... given ebooks need to be fixed a little bit. Because well, in Kindle, you can make notes, but. I can, you can do make... that in, I can do that with my library books yeah, too. Yeah, they, they save that info for you if you happen to buy the book. Yeah. Um, and only um, if you have a Kindle version. If you have like the Overdrive EPUB version, you oh, can't. Put yeah, it in that's notes. true. Um, yeah, like I can totally do it in my Kindle version. I can make notes. I can highlight things. Mm-hmm. But when you're at the, you know, in the like first part of the book, you don't really know what to highlight. What's going to be important later on? Like until then, you're like towards the end, and you're like, oh wait, they're mentioning this car accident again. Which yeah. I really actually enjoyed because I think the author says he meant he was reading a lot of classic literature while he wrote this, wrote this and that he was trying to design something that was a lot like classic literature in the way that it unfolds in a complicated way and you have to keep going back and discussing it. You know, something like you would read in high school or in college, um, but in an entertaining way. It was still an entertaining book. He's like, why do classics always have to be so boring and terrible? And they're not always boring and terrible, as we no. all believe. But um, <laughs> I get his point. <laughs> and, and so I think that was very purposeful of the author. And I, I don't know. I enjoyed it. I get the why it's frustrating with the ebook. I do. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it's a bad thing. I just, you know, if the car accident, for example, comes up in part one and we don't find out it's important until like near the end of the book, well, it's too late. I can't go back and highlight it because I don't know yeah. what it is anymore. Yeah. Right. It's stuff like that. So, yeah, yeah, that's definitely an ebook problem. Yeah. So, alas. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, so we still have lots of feels about her disappearance. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly. Um, Why did you guys think Laura selected Ella as a 10th member? Um, I know that I'm in the minority because a lot of people in our discussion the other night did not agree. But I do feel like Ella's father is a part of it um, because... Again, they make such an emphasis over this car crash and his, like, not membership in the society, but his friendship with Laura White and those people. Um, And the fact that it was so secret and nobody knew about it except the members of the society. Um, Now, I don't know whether Laura had a reason in picking it, like, you know, oh, I'm going to do this because of who your father is, or I'm hanging out with your father because of who your daughter will be, because we all know there's supernatural stuff happening. Um, I don't know, but I do, like, feel like there is a connection. I don't, yeah, I don't know. I thought there was going to be when they mentioned the car crash. Like, oh, he hung out with Laura Wright. He was almost a member. He used to write poetry. I was like, oh, there's something going on with this. And it didn't really go anywhere. So I was like, oh. I mean, I disagree, and we discussed this the other night, but um, I just think the car crash, the father, the the entire presence of that, while interesting, and it adds to the uh, to that thing we were talking about before where, like, there's this loaded history between everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, in the end, it's a red herring by the author. I think it's just one of those things put in the book to sort of mislead you away from the supernatural aspect you know, to, to try to give you something else to grab onto. Yeah. Um, I well, think... Well, I still think it was supernatural. I just don't... I just right, right. believe... You yeah. just think it had to do with him in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, I, I like, I, like, she was, like, following him maybe because she knew that his daughter would eventually be the 10th member. I don't know. But I, I just there's think definitely Ella a connection. Had, Ella had all the things. And maybe this is because... Maybe Ella studied Laura White because her father was always very interested in Laura White. Like exactly. I'm sure I'm sure there's some connection there. I, I don't know if it's like 
the reason. I, I think the reason is Ella herself. I think Ella herself is a researcher. Ella herself is a researcher of Laura White. She has tools at her disposal to, I think, complete what Laura White wants, which is her, overall her story and what happened to her. And, you know, to tell it in a new way, which through Laura White's understanding, uh, not through Laura White, through Ella's understanding of Laura White and through the game, she has a unique perspective on because these people, you know, her, uh, the other members of the society were never going to ask these questions in the game. They weren't going to use this in a novel because this was their lives, you know, and this was something they just considered sacred and weren't going to touch. But Laura having, not Laura, uh, Ella, (laughs) Ella having not lived it with Laura and the rest of them, you know, she's going to use it as fair game. Um, which she, you know, at the end of the book, that's what she says she's going to do. She's going to do the research paper, given the things not in the game. And then because she doesn't want to give up her membership into the society, uh, which I thought was a nice turnaround from the original character, she's going to write a book about Laura White and the game, but, you know, not calling her Laura White. Yeah. Um, So I think that was the purpose. I think the purpose is that Ella has that unique ability to be that person who can take a step back and be a part of at the same time, be a, be out. Um, so I think that's why she was chosen. Yeah, I agree with you, Tara. Um, I really think Laura just did research on Ella after her story came out in the paper and was like, Oh, she's like this really great researcher. Um, she'll be great addition to the society. And that's how she got inducted basically. Um, and look at how much Ella learned. (laughs) I mean, maybe slightly more supernatural than that, but yeah, that. (laughs) No, definitely. And like, um, oh shoot, I lost my train of thought now. Whatever. (laughs) It'll come to me. For me, the only problem with that is like, in order to make a name for yourself as a researcher, like you have to have done research. And the only thing Ella's ever researched is Laura White for her dissertation. So there's no, and I, I mean from the way they describe her, like there's no way Ella's the only person in the world who's ever done a dissertation on Laura White. So I feel like her reputation, yeah, but I feel like her reputation as a researcher cannot precede her. So I feel like there has to be something more supernatural to it than just Ella's a researcher. But she is part of the society now. So her professor recognized that she has this great inside to get more information than a normal researcher could. Right, but I'm talking about for Laura to pick her as a member of the oh. society. She can't pick her because right. she's a great researcher because she hasn't researched anything except well, the Laura's one dissertation. Well, Laura's probably read the one dissertation, which her professor, right. who is like an international scholar on right. Laura White, like clearly one of the best Laura White scholars, even says, you know, your dissertation could be a book. Your dissertation yeah. could be a research. Also, right. but that's, so, again, like that's so not, I mean, a, that's not a good enough reason unless there's something more supernatural. Well, look how she... I'm saying that Laura wants her story told, and she did read the dissertation. Ella is a good, you know, is a good person to choose. Yeah, I there I think there would be some supernatural part to it, but yeah, I think Alora also, you yeah, know, did did her research with Ella because I mean, look at the look at the other members. She discovered them while they were still children. Right. You know? And that's what I'm saying is like there's clearly something more to it than just like you fulfill my purpose. Like she mm-hmm. selected her members very carefully. Like and yeah. she, most of them she, you know, raised them in a sense. Right. So for her to pick, you know, another member, especially a member she hadn't raised, and maybe that is the connection to her father. She was raising her in a way by guiding her father. Well, Um, also because um, I think Laura always had to pick a 10th member of the society. Yeah. Um, You know, I think that Laura White's story, and I forget who says this. I think it was the sci-fi writer. Laura White's story is that Laura White was a famous writer. She wrote you know, amazing children's books, international fame, and created the Rabbitback Literature Society, which had 10 members in it. 10 members was always supposed to be the number of the Rabbitback Literature Society. And she stopped at nine. I think picking and choosing the 10th, having the 10th member inducted, that was, that's the bow out, right? Because that completes the story. All 10 members published, all 10 members became 
authors. And that's going to happen for Ella, too. Right. But the 10th book, the last writer, is writing about her. Yeah. Oh, sure. But I mean, but I think choosing a 10th member was always going to happen. It was always going to be the last thing I think Laura White did. Yeah. I'm just saying, well, if we're talking about Ella specifically, the reasons, you know, there's more reasons there. And I, you know, I think that her relationship with Ella's father plays a part supernaturally somehow, like she was working her magic there. I think it's time to agree to disagree on this. <laughs> How do we feel? Um, I'm going to get you, Ned. I get you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about a surprise per- character that came into the story really quickly. Um, I was because, so confused for a second. Yeah, no. <laughs> like, surprise? You didn't tell us going to be a surprise, which I guess would defeat the purpose. Uh, Whatever. Th- okay, this kid was a complete <laughs> surprise <laughs> in the book. Um, this kid's name was Oscar, right? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, Oscar, yeah, Oscar with the K. Um, so, because I w- really want to talk about the crazy theories, but I feel like Oscar would be like... A mention in here, so let's talk about him really quickly. Sure. Um, what do you think was Oscar's role in the story once you found out about him? Oh, man. I mean, I think very early on in the book, somebody says that people wrap themselves in stories mm-hmm. and people live their own story and that that's what the game is for is really is to cut through that. And I think Oscar is just such a great example of that. And the authors really, I know we have a lot of crazy theories about Oscar not actually being autistic and all these things. But I mean, the author makes it pretty clear in his blog that he believes that Oscar's just autistic and that there's always scribbles in the book. But yet these people, you know, still really believe that they took something from this genius child that was this fictitious 10th member of the society. Um, You know, I think it's just really about how children can create a reality around themselves and really truly believe that reality and grow into that reality and have these guilt over crazy things. And just not, maybe not even children, just people in general can have guilt around something that they don't understand forever, you know, mm-hmm. that, that you can just live in this story. Um, I think the story of Oscar is just really interesting. And I think almost like Laura put him in that group of people just to see what would happen. You know, she didn't give them the information around him. She didn't treat him any differently, uh, which I think is really kind of Laura White. But at the same time, I think she did it to see what would happen to these other children. Oh, yeah. you. She's, the, I mean, they even mentioned, like, she's always looking for material for mm-hmm. her books. So that would that's like a perfect reason. I I love my favorite thing that came out of the discussion the other day in the full discussion was the character, the Creatureville character that Oscar clearly represented. Um, I love that. Uh, What's his name? Krusty Bark? Krusty Bark. Yeah. Krusty Bark. Oh, my gosh. And how they describe that people get ideas by dreaming of Krusty Bark and how he can't communicate the same way. And I I just thought that was just a beautiful description. Um. And what a great character to have in the story and how true it was for the kids in the Rebecca Literature Society. I mean, there's there's so much about Oscar to really pull apart. It's I'm still, even days after discussing this, still having a hard time wrapping my head around it, really. Jeanette, what about what about you? What am I leaving out? I'm leaving out so much. I know I am. <laughs> oh, I, I don't even know. I mean, we talked about this for so long. I mean... I agree. I think Oscar definitely was a child uh, with autism. You know, he had a lot of scribbles in his book. Um, like, my question was, like, did the kids make something out of the scribbles? And that's where they thought they were getting their ideas. Um, whether it's because they actually understood what his scribbles were, because that's um, that's kind of how children relate to each other. They speak like their own language. They do their own thing, you know. Adults are like, I don't know what they're talking about, but they're having fun together. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, see, the mom laughs. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so, like, is there a chance that they could have, you know, in their own way, understood it in a way that as adults they can't? Or is there, you know, this other thing going on where they did look at it, they saw the scribbles, they didn't understand it, 
but like children they're exhausted the, you know yeah but the oh, child yeah. memories like built this up in their head to like this nightmare of we've stolen these ideas from this genius child etc 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 because of course as children they probably would have had no understanding well, or knowledge like said, of Oscar's autism yeah and like they said they hated him right so they didn't really include him in a lot of things so they built this idea of him up and up and up Right, and, and I think, you know, when you hate somebody and you are forced to be with them, like, every single day, like, that just builds the, like, mythology around your anger mm-hmm. so much more. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, um, it's a combination of what you guys say, like, they were tired, so they thought they were seeing things that they didn't see, and, you know, because they are children, like, they felt this immense guilt because they weren't supposed to look at each other's notebooks and they're like, oh, I know I'm not supposed to do this, but they do it. And so they think they get their ideas from this one book. You know what I mean? Like I mean this, this mini secret society forms up in yeah. a secret society yeah. around this book. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but hey, lo First and behold. rule of rabbit back, you don't talk about yeah, rabbit Yeah, lo and behold, society. It, you got it from your own brain, but because you felt so guilty about doing this one thing that you thought it came from this... One notebook from well, a kid. And I love it because yeah. it's the whole idea that nothing is new, too, right? Because mm-hmm. oh, like yeah. Marty will say, like, I'll thought of something and I'll dreamed it, and I realize that some, another person in the Rabbit Back Literature Society used it already, and mm-hmm. he thinks it's because it came from the notebook, but really it's just because, as we've discussed before, no ideas are new, right? You know, every idea is just a a new way of looking at something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. so. Okay, guys. Theories. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> so. I know a lot were thrown around. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. Especially by Kim. And again, like, shout out to Kim. Like, Kim gave woo-woo. us a whole list on Goodreads. Yeah. Um, right, well, this book actually might be the story of Kim's life, just from what she was telling us. <laughs> she has very, very. <laughs> solid relationship uh with bees and uh queen bees and -hmm. (laughs) the the bees theory is actually really fascinating because she loves this theory man when i when i saw the doc i was like what bees there are no bees what (laughs) there are bees no there were bees at the end no there's bees at the end there's bees actually and several places yeah yeah i was like bees what Bees are just like stinging Marty. What? <laughs> but, but the bees at the end actually sort yeah. of, I think, hurt Kim's theory a little bit. Mm. Um, why don't you actually say the theory, Jeanette? <laughs> okay. So Kim's theory is that Laura White was the queen bee of the Rabbitback Literature Society, and when she selected Ella, Ella was to become the new queen bee. But you can't have two queen bees in a hive, which is why Laura had to disappear. Yep. So that's um, yeah, which is very interesting and supported by the fact that you know at certain points during the story, bees of course are brought up, including the bee that flies out of Laura's mouth when she's sleeping. That's so creepy. Oh uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, so, that was really creepy. It is creepy, but it's like a very interesting theory because in its way, you know, Ella does kind of become this leader of the society after Laura's gone by virtue of being the new member and gathering people for different purposes and interacting with them to mm-hmm. serve her own story. Mm-hmm. I love that she just lies to all of them at the end. Like, everybody already <laughs> agreed to do it. So, I mean, if yeah. you don't, yeah. you're a terrible person. And they're, and they're like, oh, I guess. Yeah. That is pretty much, like, the best best thing um, I think Laura did in terms of, like, showing off her personality because a lot of it is she goes at after information with like this like cold research persona and then she's exhausted and she's like i can't feel anything because i'm so tired Well, and she does it to this person who egregiously lied to her about her own life being in danger i mean she does it for a person who like in my mind doesn't deserve it right Um, but yeah it's great (laughs) yeah so i think you're right i think like it does show you know, a really interesting facet of her personality. Yeah. 
I think uh, she would be a good leader too, you know, especially because she is the newest member, kind of fresh eyes type of deal. Um, the members obviously know more about society stuff, but I was like, okay, this is dumb. We need to stop doing this, <laughs> you know? It's like, you guys got to reconcile, you know, we got to be, you got to go do this thing. You have to do it. It's really important. And, you know, she kind of takes charge, which I really appreciated. I mean, and in some ways she has her own, um, she has her own direct experience with the supernatural right before she publishes her own book, you know, yes. her experience with the phantom in the garden, mm-hmm. although probably not quite as um, severe as Laura White's experience with whatever was under the water. Um, it does mirror that, you know, that, that she has this direct experience with the supernatural and then she goes on to continue and to publish and hopefully publish successfully we will never know because there won't be a sequel, unfortunately, but, you know, <sighs> you assume that at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you know, Laura was taken by the Phantom and Ella was able to, you know, fight it off Fight it off by virtue of having dogs fight it for her. Yeah. Still. <laughs> Ugh, I love that. I love the dogs. But I felt so bad dogs. for the dogs. I know. They were like, injured and hurt and killed. I was going to say, they were more than just injured. <laughs> No, but I mean, but that the dogs are the best, man. That's why dogs They're are the so best right cool. there. They're loyal and awesome and will do anything for you. And I'm a dog person. So yeah, awesome <laughs> dogs saving you from terrible phantom creatures. That was created out of your own guilt, Marty. Yeah. You're doing nothing. You just sat there and was sad. So this thing entered your garden. Good job. Yeah. Um, and then he was too afraid of the dogs to let them take care of the problem. I yeah. know, right? Like, he actually built the wall up to keep the dogs out. I'm like, that is the wrong move, Marty. Wrong move. <laughs> Poor yeah, decision-making skills. He basically kept it in forever, mm-hmm. you know? Well, so. I mean, that's a symbol of his own guilt, yep. you know? He built yeah. a wall around the idea that he was stealing this boy's life and these boys' ideas. And he thought, mm-hmm. like a lot of them did, that the boy was murdered somehow. Like, they had somehow done it like that is the guilt these people held for themselves oh, yeah, I mean, that if you... I thought was so interesting like the childhood guilt in terms yeah. of like they were like we're convinced that this kid was murdered when it was like yeah it was a car crash it was just <laughs> a legit car crash yeah, yeah like, like an everyday occurrence like yeah. yeah a shitty thing that happened that's what it was yeah and it wasn't like oh a secret car crash. No, it was a car crash. <laughs> secret car crash. <laughs> I'm just saying. This wasn't a Laura White car crash, guys. Okay, it was just a normal, normal car crash. <laughs> um, I love how people are like, wait, was it the same car crash with Laura White? I'm like, no, that was like. A no, decade. they were years apart, man. Yeah. <laughs> like, I like where you're going, but it was just a car crash. Um, yeah, and I know, and also what, with the wall. Um, he basically built a physical wall, but the others built a wall around themselves because they're like, I don't want any more people digging into my soul. You know, not oh, the just game. Keep, yeah, with yeah. the game. Like he wanted to keep the members out because he's like, I don't want to talk about myself anymore. Please leave me alone. Yeah. Um, you know, it's very much the barrier, whereas the others just kind of, you know, it was more symbolic. He made it very literal, <laughs> you know, um, like I wouldn't. I mean- I wouldn't know what to do with myself if, like, there were people trying to get, like, my innermost secrets out, you know? People talk about that part of the game a lot. People talk about how it affects you, but also Mm -hmm. they created, as they got older, they created this game that rewarded, you know, this adrenaline rush of breaking into someone's home. And that was part of it for them. They enjoyed Mm -hmm. that part. They enjoyed getting around everybody's security systems yep. and locked doors and garden walls and they enjoyed the challenge and it's just this weird thing that they did that you know has this like really specific psychosis around it I think mm-hmm. it's it's just a very interesting the psychology around the game I think is just really interesting well I think there's something to be said between like you know yes they probably did enjoy it Um, But I think they also were hungry for it. Like, I think it's something that they needed because they got to the point where they all convinced themselves that without the game, like, they couldn't come up with ideas. Yeah. Right. And it was like, well, I have to I have to finish what I'm writing. I have to write my next novel. I need more ideas. So they keep 
playing the game even though they don't enjoy it anymore. I mean, Marty talks about that, how he was like, yeah, I was like going to refuse to play the game, but he had a toothache and that would have been really good for my book to talk about a root canal. <laughs> because so nothing I gained. was free. Nothing <laughs> right. was ever free. Right. Well. So it's like, there, like it got to a point where it wasn't, I don't think it was fun anymore. It was just fulfilling a need. There was a hunger yeah. there for that information. Well, I mean, I, I talked about, I didn't really talk about this, but um, but I think there is a specific psychology around when you are participating in the game, how these people, how it affects you. Like spilling is in its act itself an extremely submissive act. You are being coaxed physically and emotionally to be as open and honest about something as you possibly can. And then when you're done, you know, you are essentially experiencing a sub drop or like a, you know, you you go into this well of emotional loss and depth. And Kashiel's Dart talks about this. I think that's probably the closest thing I can talk about. It, It is that like the psychology of submission versus dominance uh, with the game. Um, And no one really talks about that, but it's a really specific psychology that they utilize here. Um, That's just really messed up in a way (laughs) because they're both doing it to each other. You're both using each other and no one's really taking self-care into account. I mean, and that's why they're stuck for days, days later, just exhausted still. Um, but it's, it's really interesting. I think that spilling like that, being that sort of honest, um, would create that reaction. And I think it's probably true being, I think, um, and this we did talk about, but I think emptying yourself like that, it does create, I, I think the way they force each other to empty things. And I actually played like a weird experiment with myself the other night. Where I was like, okay, um, I picked a situation in my life that I don't like to talk about. And I was like, if somebody was going to force me to spill about this situation, how would I do it? And so I started to, like, kind of imagine it. And, you know, I was doing this because I couldn't sleep. (laughs) And I tell you, like, I started, I went through the entire situation, and I immediately, like, passed out. Hmm. Like, I was gone, and I couldn't wake up the next morning. Like, I slept through, like, not slept through my alarm, but, like, And you did it to yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I was, like, there's Ugh. an emotional exhaustion being forced to discuss something that you are uncomfortable discussing. Right. And it does create, like, I mean, of course, it didn't create a distance for me because I was doing it to myself, so telling myself about myself <laughs> does not create a distance for me in the situation. But I know that in other cases when people have asked me about things, once I tell them, like, it creates a more of a distance between me and the situation, which is why sometimes, you know, it's good to, like, vent. Like, oh, I got a problem at work. I'm going to, you know, vent to a friend that I'm mad at my coworker or whatever, you know? But it creates a little distance between yourself and the situation, and it brings it, like, down for you. Mm-hmm. And so there is an exhaustion that comes with it. There is a distance that comes with that. And I think that does take recovery depending on how attached you were to that story to begin with. Sure. I mean, it's like, um, you know, the the longer and more hidden you keep that secret – the harder it is to pull out, you know, so it takes more energy. Yeah. I think sometimes, though, the game was very um, relieving. I don't, there's a better word for that. Um, but it was, you know, people, I mean, Ella even said, even after the mirror, you know, she was very, like you said, exhausted and hated playing the mirror game when it was being done to her. But as a result, later, she really enjoyed the thought that, you know, her hips may be in the next book or that are like part of her may live on. Um, I, I think sometimes it was very freeing to eventually discuss it. But I think, yeah, you had to go through that entire process of being just exhausted from the discussion. So you think that Laura kind of created this also to be therapeutic? 
A little bit. I think, you know, being free with yourself and having a better understanding, not just to somebody else, but, you know, you're also spilling to yourself in a way. Being honest to yourself is something that people have a hard time with. I, I think that they talk about that, you know, like I said earlier, people are wrapped up in stories. Your own story is something you are wrapped up in. Mm-hmm. Um, I think being forced to spill forces you to come to terms with certain things that can also help you in the long run. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it can definitely be um, cathartic to kind of. That's sit there the and word. Face, Thank you. Face the truth. <laughs> I mean, I mean, this is why people, you know, go to therapists. Yeah. Um, is for that kind of catharsis of talking about something that you can't talk about with other people. Sure. Or to face, you know, hard truths. Um, So I definitely think there's some of that in the game. I mean, in terms of Ella, there's the fact that for a long time, Ella is just very angry with her body for being, quote, unquote, defective. Um, Ugh. Yeah. And then she's like... Male authors, can we have a conversation, please? Uh, No. Um, <laughs> but anyway, but anyways, like, um, she, but she kind of, I think that is one good thing that comes out of it is she's kind of like, eh, if Marty wants it, let Marty have it because it's created this distance between herself and the situation. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, wow. So much to talk about guys and so little time. I know. I know. Um, yeah, but it's just such a great book. <laughs> It is a great book. And and sorry about my comment. I just, uh, how many people have not had been able to have children in the books we've been reading lately? So many people. Yeah, Maybe let's, just, no, it, it let's move well past that. Here, and there was like, I, I, I just want to say it was well done here. It was done for purpose here. And there was like a point, not just to make the character sad, but like something she had to overcome and it was strengthening and blah, 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 blah. But yes, let's move past it. I just, I'm exhausted by it a little <laughs> So hopefully the next book won't have that then. <laughs> Please. Um, so in the end, did you like it? Did you love it? Did you hate it? I liked it. I feel like I could okay. have liked it more. But again, that's the ebook's fault. Not the book's fault. Blame <laughs> it on the ebook. <laughs> I do oh, blame it on the ebook. Poor ebook. <laughs> I I loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, some things we didn't discuss. But things I loved about the book was the idea that people are who they are in their completeness. People are their, not just their current selves or the past selves, but they're also their future selves, even though they don't know who that person is. And the idea that you could look and see someone's entire being if you looked at the right way. I, I really, I loved this book. I love talking about it. I love reading it. I'll probably read it again. I think I'll get a lot out of it the second time around. Um, I am. Five stars, highly recommend. <laughs> I agree with you. This is a great book to reread. You'll like discover a whole bunch of stuff that you didn't realize until you go back. Yeah. Um, so I really liked it too. And um, I do I do plan on coming back to this one for sure. If I have time to do a reread because I haven't reread a book in a long time right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yay. Awesome, yay. awesome book. So our next book um, is The Sense of an Ending by Julian Barnes, um, and that'll be for next month. And this is not a very long book. No, it's, um, according to Goodreads, it's like 150 pages or mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah, so. no, I, I plan to read it like literally the night before. <laughs> yeah, I just started reading it. Um, so early. You're going to forget everything before we talk. About listen, it. <laughs> if I don't read it now, <laughs> fair enough, fair I enough. don't know when I'll get to it because I was able to get the ebook at the library. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to wait a little while because the ebook seems to be available. Um, but I think the hardback is also or paperback or whatever is also available. But this is also um, a Man Booker Prize winner. So. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, um, it's interesting so far. It's a bunch of boys getting together. So <laughs> that's where I'm okay, at right wait, now. Wait. Getting together or just getting together? Just getting together. <laughs> no. um, it's interesting so far, but I only read like a, a, a few pages worth. Alrighty. Well, um, for show notes, including links to um, our author's blog, uh, you can go to sunriserobot.net slash eclecticreader slash 14 and kind of read a little bit of what the author's got to say for himself. And also, you can find all the books we've discussed here on Amazon and Goodreads. 
And you can also find us on the internet. Where can people find you, Susan? People can find me on Goodreads under Susan Lyons or at the Eclectic Readers page. Um, they can find me at Twitter at Dudi Keichel. That's R-U-R-I underscore K-A-I-C-H-O-U. And Google Plus for fun book links that I do for, uh, on that page. All right. And Tara, where can people find you? Well, you can find me and any of the links I'm about to discuss on our sunriserobot.net slash eclectic readers. You can find all those links there. But you can find me on Goodreads, on our Goodreads page for eclectic readers. Also on Twitter as my full name, Tara Newman, T-A-R-A-N-E-W-M-A-N. Jeanette, how about you? Awesome. Well, you can find me on Goodreads at our page or at goodreads.com slash Rivera, or you can find me on Twitter at Dr. Jeanette. That's D-R-J-E-A-N-N-E-T-T-E. Yeah, that's two N's and two T's, or I don't see it, and it's very sad. And I really <laughs> want to hear what you guys think about this book, so don't yes, leave me hanging. please. Um, and if you'd like to support the network, we love support. Um, you can support us at sunrise.net slash support and that is our patreon and special thanks to our super patreon supporters benji robinson and carolyn kraut Woo! yay thank you Woohoo! thank you guys we appreciate everything you do keep being um, awesome <laughs> another way to support us is to rate and review us on itunes and that way other people see us and they listen to us and it's a, just a happy world of people reading and talking about books guys you want that and you can also subscribe in your favorite podcatcher, and that way you never miss an episode. And with that, I think we can shelve this until next month. All right, see you then. All right, guys, see you next month. Bye. Bye. <laughs>